from the Alberta Motorcycle Safety Society and welcome to Think Bike, a podcast about all things motorcycle and the voice of motorcycle safety and awareness in Alberta. We like to talk about everything motorcycle related and bring you great guests to share their stories. Thank you for tuning in. On today's podcast, we are bringing in our dear friend, Daryl McIntyre from 630 Chad early in the mornings. Uh, really happy to have him here. He's been involved with us from the beginning. Welcome to the show for the first time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Good to be on a podcast. Yeah. What a weird here- world. I hear this is your first podcast, although you're no stranger to media, obviously. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I've been in the more traditional format in the last little while, you bet. Little while, yeah. (laughs) For those of you listening from outside the Edmonton area, um, Daryl was once a very long time reigning six o'clock news anchor on one station and is now the morning host of a a 6.30 Ched talk news radio show, which he has had me on a few times and grateful for that. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Let's jump into You're welcome. So it's tit for tat. True. Very true. It was tit for tat. I had you on, so you had no choice but to get me on the podcast. Uh, You know what? I should have had you on the podcast a long time ago for all the things you've done for AMSS in the past. Um, All good. uh, Nothing at all. Anyway. Anyway, let's jump into this. How long have you been riding and what got you into it? Uh, let's see. I'm actually a relatively new rider. I'm not someone who, who grew up on bikes and then got a, uh, you know, got on it immediately out of high school, etc. I actually got my first bike, what was it, uh, 11 years ago? 12 years ago. So my father-in-law had uh, a 1976 Honda CB750, which is just a classic bike. Uh, he had decided that uh, he'd got a new bike. He got a, well, new for him. It was a Vulcan 1500. So the 72-year-old father-in-law goes, geez, Daryl, you crack that thing. It rips your arms right out of your shoulders. We're going, oh God, the 72-year-old's going to kill himself. Anyway, so he no longer needed the bike. He was going to ship it off to, to his son. But my wife said, oh, maybe Daryl might want that, which I was shocked because I had no idea she would even consider letting me get a bike. Anyway, so I got it. He shipped it out, and I had suddenly this non-updated, leaky, with a great big fairing on the front. It looked like an old police interceptor, but it's a 750. So you had to have the revs cranked up, or otherwise it couldn't couldn't operate the signal lights on the fairing, on the wind jammer, on the ferry. Anyway, so that's what I got. That was my first bike. I got it inspected. I took a a motorcycle uh, course, C-Tech, James uh, uh, took care of me on that one. And so, yeah, I took a training. Yes, thank you. Thank you for that. And, uh, And then away I went. I got my first trip. How awesome is that? Like, that's quite a yeah. way to get into riding. I, we all have our stories. Well, it, was cool be- it was cool because it was, it was an old bike and it, and it had some provenance. So it came from my father-in-law. He'd had it since 1980. He bought it. Uh, it was four years old when he bought it. So he had it since 1980. He rode that thing to work. He ripped around all over the place on that bike. Is that the one you still have now? That is the one I still have now. So that one, uh, I took. A, I went on a trip with Marty Forbes, of course, who we all know, uh, who helped you, you launch this thing. And then Marty took me on my first trip, as he d- tends to do, right? He likes to take uh, especially new riders under the wing. So we did the the Jasper Banff Icefield Parkway trip. 
that was my first big trip on a motorcycle. Well, geez, that's not a bad little trip, huh? But on my old bike, <laughs> it was just leaking oil like crazy. Uh, but we made it and it was awesome. It was great. After that, though, I figured, you know what? If I want to keep riding this, I need to, to get it redone. I'm not mechanically inclined enough to deal with all the things that would need to have been done to that bike. So I ended up uh, finding a place to redo it. They actually had a fire while it was in the shop. So I was delayed a full year before I finally got the bike back. But when I came back, no leaks, fresh paint, shiny, original stock material. So a seat, a newer seat, still had Honda on the back, but era up, uh, appropriate. The the old original uh, uh, exhaust pipes, we found a set of those. You can't find the original ones these days anymore for a CB750. So it was, it's it's immaculate. I just love it. I remember one of the years at our launch, I think we were at uh, the park that's beside the Strathcona. McIntyre Park, thank you very much. How could I forget the name of McIntyre Park? Also known as Gazebo Park, but that's, yeah. And you had that one down there. And I think you guys went for a bite to eat when we were trying to close everything up. And when you came back, I was sitting on your Honda. Yeah. And you know what it is. You don't go sitting on somebody else's, but you're lucky. You're lucky. I didn't see that happen immediately. All good. You can sit on that bike anytime you make it look better. Well, it's uh, one year younger than me. So I think I need to take it out for a ride sometime. (laughs) Yeah, well, you'd be robbing the cradle. Yes, no, uh, by all means. <laughs> One year younger, right? Daryl! Uh, it's a cool bike, and it's also a sort of a, it's a signature bike. And I have taken that on, on longer trips. So I actually took that one with a bunch of the neighborhood guys. We made, went all the way to Vancouver, then dipped into the States, came back, did all those great Southern BC ra- uh, roads up through the cusp and all the way home. And that old bike dragged me around about 4,000 K. Probably four to five thousand K on that trip. So it was awesome. And so I'm gonna guess that you had the oldest bikes on those, like the oldest bike on that trip or yeah. those trips, because I know you do boys' trips all the time. Who has the most problems? Not you, I would imagine. Uh, I did have one year where I had problems. There was a timing thing and it messed up and I ended up blowing out uh, those great exhaust pipes. They've been repaired. They're still on, but they're a little out. So I had one problem. But through most of the years, no, I didn't have other people. There was tires, uh, somebody's bearings or, you know, any number of things would would pop up. Somebody was having trouble. There was an electronics problem with with his Harley. Yeah, so there were a bunch of other ones. But for the most part, that thing just ran. Because, you know, it's carburetors and a a couple of wheels and a a chain. Let's go, give her. (laughs) Oh, well, you meet the nicest people on a Honda, right? Yes, ma'am. (laughs) so you have been supporting amss since we got this going Mm -hmm. why was that important to you Uh, there's a couple of reasons uh when i took the c-tech course it was a great it was mostly about safety i recognize that i understood that as as an older rider new to uh, the experience new to the adventure new to the sport new to the pastime whatever you want to call it just how important riding safely uh, was to me. Uh, and then also the, the people that uh, who I connected with. So Marty was uh, helping out with that and then getting to meet you and then being part of that sort of community of, uh, of media people that you guys brought in to help support and spread that message. It was part of being, so the, the short answer is being part of a community. There's a number of communities there, but it was being part of all of them, I think. Well, and I think one of the coolest things with like even our very first launch, we had 
all of you media personalities from the Edmonton area down there and to see at that time you were the six o'clock guy on CTV and Gord was the six o'clock guy on global mm-hmm. and, and you two coming together. And it was like everybody, there was no egos there. It was just everybody coming together for safety. And let me tell you from myself, because I was just this girl with an idea and God bless Marty Forbes for wanting to get involved. Thank you for being there from day one. Uh, not a problem. And you know what? It's not like the turf war is an anchor man. Nobody was bringing out a hand grenade or a trident. Uh, <laughs> none of that. We're all part of that community as well. So, you know, happy to do it. Oh, hey, you want to ride your bike down, hang out? And then, I don't know, at the end of the year, they'll grab you some nibblies and a beer. All right, sure. Yeah, I'm in. Oh, we haven't done that since before COVID. You have not. Oh, I got to get the... Tick, yeah. tick. It's coming. Fall is around the court. Let's not talk about that effort right. for a while. You know, what, you know what the best part about, I just love the things I've been able to do, the adventures that I've had because I have a motorcycle license. Yes. Let's just, talk about that. Okay, sure. Let's what get you, into you want, that. Like favorite place you've ever taken your very old motorcycle. Uh, so I can't, somebody, Oh wait, hold on. We can't say very old motorcycle. Cause it's when you're younger than me for a motorcycle. <laughs> yes. You're a young woman. Um, that's an old bike. Uh, so my father-in-law eventually got to the point where he was not riding the Vulcan either. Right. So I went and picked that up on Vancouver Island and I solo rode it all the way home, uh, back to here to give to his son. So that was fun. Uh, but I ended up, instead of taking the old bike on some really long trips, so the, the, the most fun trip we had was getting, uh, going to Cody, Wyoming and back. And part of the route to Cody, well, and this we did this in a week, part of the route to Cody was through Beartooth Pass, which is in between uh, Montana and Wyoming. And it's 10,000 feet of elevation. It was in June, so there were still huge cliffs of snow on either side of the road. And it was cold and it was awesome and it was just a really cool ride then down into cody wyoming and hanging out in buffalo bill's hotel the irma hotel sitting on the uh, on the patio and uh, and playing poker in the poker room of the irma hotel so it's it's about the bikes it's about the trip it's about being with the guys but it's also about it's about the experiences once you get there and the places you get to go. So that was very, very cool. Let me tell you one other one quickly. It was shortly after I got my license and shortly after I got, this was kind of, kind of crazy, but I was in Hawaii. I got invited with, with some friends and I'd heard about the road to Hana in Maui. And I, I rented a, a 650. It was a G-Strom. It was a G-Strom 650, I think is what it was. And I took that on the road to Hana as a new rider. And that was probably not the brightest thing I've ever done, but it was the greatest day. It was a long day, but it was an awesome day. And I kept going around. Anyone who knows that road knows there's the paved part, the windy, twisty, uh, 8,000 bridges uh, road to get in. Most people turn around and come back the same way. I kept going around the backside, which is basically dirt road and cliffs and rusted out guardrails. And that was just a blast. So without the motorcycle license, without that introduction to that community, I would never have gone on those two, those two adventures. And there's been a ton of others as well. Those two are my most memorable. I think. That's awesome. Does Mary ever go with you? Absolutely not. (laughs) Will not ride on the back. Has no interest in riding in the back. Still can't believe she even let me get one. She figured if, if it was an old bike, it couldn't go that fast. Guess what? A CB750 from 1976 can still go like snot. 
I know there's uh, old vintage bikes that get raced on land speed racing all the time. But I don't know how many times I've been told too that was the bike. Like back in the day in the 70s, that was the bike. That's the one. It was inexpensive enough that guys could turn it into choppers. They could play with it. It was the one everybody wanted, and it was it was the best, fastest bike that was kicking around at the time. It was a 750 back then was a big bike. So it still goes. Not, not that I'd ever go faster than the speed limit, but I understand that it can go. Are you only saying that because we're recording a podcast, or you really truly stay to the speed limit? I'm sorry, is that my dog barking? It might be. So anyway, are anyway. there <laughs> in all of your adventures that you've had in the mm-hmm. last 11 years or so, has there been any like hard lessons learned? We've all had like mm. close calls or or things like that. Like what is what's some of your hard lessons learned? Uh, you can ride as safely as you possibly can. And yet sometimes things will happen. So on one of the trips down into the, into the States, uh, there were six of us and we'd left where we were staying. We we're going to go for 45 minutes, get breakfast in a town down the road. Beautiful morning. Sun was shining. We're in Washington state. There's some beautiful windy roads through forest. It's just gorgeous. We get going. Everything's fine. We hit one corner that didn't have a speed sign on it. Or if it did, none of us saw it. And I'm talking none of us. There were six of us going down there, not being ridiculous, just grinding corners and having a good time. That corner ended up being a lot tighter and a lot longer than any of us thought. Uh, As I was going through it, uh, suddenly I'm pushing, I'm pushing harder, I'm pushing harder. I'm going, holy cow, this thing doesn't stop this corner. The guy in front of me, my friend, was on a Harley that had uh, a really sort of low base of the oil pan. So it it didn't have a ton of clearance uh, at the bottom of it. So as he came around, there's a truck coming the other direction cutting the corner so he kept pushing and pushing and leaning as much as he could to the point where that bottom touched the ground and that 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 popped the uh, the the contact of the rubber off the road bam he went into it so he uh, smacked into it and helicoptered back across the road he ended up having a fractured back it was like a, it was like an, an implosion of one of his vertebrae but in that case had all the gear uh, had a helmet, had his leathers on, not a scratch on him, but that one thing. And, you know, we weren't riding out of, of sorts by any stretch. We were just going and just hit a corner that was more than anybody expected. And then another vehicle coming around and cutting a corner. So stuff can happen. It can be a dangerous thing, but you mitigate those dangers by at least at the very least riding properly but also wearing the gear that gear it's not just it's just not the road rash it'll save you from it'll save you from a lot worse than that so anyway uh, he's doing he's doing much better but i i watched that going on in front of me and that was that was a rather sobering time so the message that's what i learned uh wear uh, cover all your safety bases and hopefully you never have to use them or need them so i've got a couple questions for that story mm-hmm. Um, one would be an obvious one. Uh, what kind of shape would he have been in had he not had all that gear on? Uh, he's, his helmet was was beat up. And in some places in the States, you can ride without a helmet. Trust me, he would not have made it. He would not have walked away from, from that. Um, it mostly would have been a lot of road rash, a lot of ripped up. Uh, he wasn't going that, but it's fast enough that when you go helicoptering across pavement, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rip him up. 
so I think that would be the most of it. It would be the helmet and then the road rash that would have been there. As it turns out, it ends up being a relatively low speed crash because, but it would still probably be 30 K an hour and the sudden stop of hitting another vehicle. Cause he smacked right into the right wheel of another vehicle and then bounced off it. So he's lucky he didn't go underneath, but you know, at least uh, that helmet saved his head. Absolutely. Had a yeah. proper helmet. Yeah. That, that, that can go wrong real quick. Yeah, if right. you're, if yeah. your head is not um, properly taken care of, like there's lots of trips in the States. You don't have to wear a helmet. Montana. Mm-hmm. And I, I go do. down there a lot. And uh, even all of my friends who are like my family down there, none of them ride without a helmet and they don't, they live there. Yeah. You know, so um, my other follow up question to that story would be because uh, ironically, just an episode a week or so ago, um, I had my best friend from Montana on and we had a similar experience without an oncoming vehicle. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about like my reaction. What was going through your head watching your friend go down in front of you and then essentially helicopter across the road in front of yeah. you? Uh, you know, mo- most of the stuff that went through my head was after, like long after, eight hours after, 12 hours after. In the moment, it's just a whole bunch of expletives. Get over to the side, get back to them, see what uh, you can do. Ideally, you do nothing. You leave them because he just hit and he, w- he was good. He wasn't trying to get up or anything. So you just try to take care of him. You make sure you can flag anybody down if you have to. Uh, we were fortunate in some way. So that's all that was going through my head. What do you need to do? Go get with him. Keep him calm. Let him know he's not alone. That was it. That was all that was on my mind. Uh, it was fortunate there were some some uh, some people who were training for a company. They were doing a first aid training in the area for the company. And so they happened to be coming by. So you had both the instructors who are EMTs and a bunch of people who were on site because it took a half an hour for an ambulance to get to where we were at. So, but going through my mind, make sure he's okay. Make sure he knows he's not alone and make sure that uh, he's safe in that spot that he's at. That's it. Afterward, there's a, you know, it was, it was shaky. It, it screwed me up for a long time to this day. When I come around a corner, I'm, you have to, I probably should have gone for more training again. It probably would have given me more confidence, but you just, you just trust the bike and you have to, you have to think your way through it again. But that was, that was scary. And it still sits with me today when you see that happen. Do you think that, cause I attributed my training to my reaction in the moment you took the course from our friend, James McCarthy. Do you mm-hmm. think that, some of that training for um, emergency maneuvers and not panicking had something yeah. to do with your ability to stay calm in the moment. Partially in that training and partially with the experience of the people I'd been riding with who were very good about teaching and, and, and good teaching. Uh, so for me on that same corner, which was super tight, I just, I just kept trusting in the rubber and pushing. Now I, my new, I, I don't think it went through my head uh, that I had more clearance, but I knew that, if I trusted in, in that push steering, it was going to get me through that. Uh, right. And, and not hitting the brakes that also went through my head. Don't touch the brakes on a corner. No, don't touch them. Uh, and I was leaning hard. So whether I touched a front brake or a back brake, I'd have been screwed for sure. So that also was in, in if not forefront, I think it was in the back of the mind from the training from the, from the avoidant collision avoidance elements of the, of the training course, that kind of thing. So I think that that helped an enormous amount. And this is several years after the course. So it's still stuck. 
And I think that you also touched on something super important because as we know in the world of socials, everybody has an opinion on everything, Mm -hmm. right, wrong, or indifferent. Yeah. Everybody's got their own way. But when you surround yourself with good riders and good people who are going to direct you the right way that make you feel confident, safe, learning all the time, Mm -hmm. that plays a different role in your life. Correct? Absolutely. Because you, you, you don't, you don't get taken down the wrong path, right? You don't get taken down a garden path that can get you in trouble and keep in mind that doesn't mean everyone's riding around like a granny. We, we can ride on some of the roads and we'll, we'll go and you, you grind in the corners and you have a great time, but you, you keep it on a certain side of the line. Is there anything that you could have done different that day to prevent that? Uh, yeah, I suppose, but you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I think we did most of the stuff that we were supposed to. We know what the, uh, uh, you see the, uh, the, the speed limits on those corners, which are almost always really, really well done. Uh, so yeah, I guess we could have mapped out and investigated every corner on the road we were at, but that's not realistic. So you could, I suppose, do that. Uh, we weren't going faster than the speed limit. We were just cruising and everything was going well. And so I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe go slower, but we weren't beyond the speed limit as it was. So really, I don't really think there was anything. But and in it, that case, you don't know that there's a truck with a trailer behind him about to cut that corner as well. So any kind of wiggle room you have on a really tight, long corner got taken away by circumstance of another vehicle coming by. Sometimes crap happens. Well, and it sounds like you guys were doing everything right. It sounds like you were spaced out enough so that you were able to react and put mm-hmm. yourself somewhere safe. It sounds like it he went down, like- smacked into a vehicle, helicoptered across the road, and I was still able to get around him you know, going on you know, on a highway, stop, slow down, pull over and get around him without, and I didn't have to run for half a mile to get back to him either. It wasn't that far. So no, I think we did everything right. It's just, yeah, like I said, crap happens sometimes. Yeah. Circumstances sometimes are beyond your control. That's a, that is a really good story to share because the takeaways for me on that are proper gear, the spacing mm-hmm. and not panicking, take care of your friends. And having having training or experience, proper experience, that lets you know what to do in the moment. I'm a new rider. I don't have a whole ton of experience. Without that training, I'd have been, well, I'd have been down to. I can't believe I've been riding longer than you. I can. <laughs> I, I didn't start playing hockey until I went to a beginner's course in hockey when I was like 53 years old. I'm but you're, a only bloomer, 40, you're only 42. Yeah. <laughs> you're already senile. <laughs> no, you know, hey, you, you figure out things to do later in life. Who cares? It uh, doesn't matter when you do it, as long as you do it. Any last tips for our listeners, my friend? No, ride well, have fun, be safe. That's that's it. I don't I don't. I, I think there's lots of, there's lots you can access through AMSS and get more details. I think we've talked about training, being prepared, being smart. There's nothing more. Most of all, have fun. Use it as a way to have an adventure. You go around the world, you have a motorcycle license, you know how to ride, you can get to places most tourists don't ever get a chance to see. So use it, do it. That's all I like. I like ending on that note. Well, my friend, I will uh, put together nibblies and beers for uh, (laughs) later in the fall when we're getting ready to put the bikes away and uh, hopefully we'll see you out there. Love it. You bet. Nibblies and beer and, and you.
Oh, thank we'll, you. We'll be there. <laughs> thank you so much, my friend. My friend, my pleasure. On today's mailbag, we have a question from Henry in Calgary asking, how do we deal with the big semis and their big blind spots? Well, here's the thing. This goes for any vehicle, but especially the big, big semis, 18 wheelers out on the road, because let's face it, if we tangle with one of those, it's not going to end pretty whatsoever. So the big rule of thumb is if you can't see their mirrors on any vehicle, chances are they also can't see you. And while we're on the topic of semis and trying to navigate around them, do not, and I really mean this, do not cut them off. I don't care if you're on a bike or in a car, but these guys can't stop on a dime at all. And therefore, if something happens in front of you and you need to break or you cut them off and they're trying to just don't do like give the space, give the room, give the space in wherever you are. No matter what the collision is, we're always going to lose in this. So set yourself up for success. That is all for our show today. To make sure that you don't miss any of our upcoming podcasts or to listen to previous ones, make sure you click on subscribe or follow wherever you get yours. If there's a topic you want us to cover, a guest you think would be great on the show, or a question for the mailbag, let us know. You can connect with us on all the socials. Email us at info at ab-amss.org or reach out through the website at ab-amss.org. Always remember to ride smart, ride safe, and think bike. We'll see you out on the road. 